Well, let's open our Bible, shall we, to the last book of the Bible, to the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we've been here all day. We began the day in the Bible study hour in Revelation chapter 1, learning how to hear from heaven. And then we came to Revelation chapter number 15. But now I want to draw your attention to Revelation 19. You'll find your place in Revelation chapter number 19. And we're going to go to a wedding tonight. Do you like weddings? How many of you remember yours? I'm just curious. That's good. That was a good day for me. My wife is a Yankee from the great state of Michigan. And uh, good, we got some Michiganders in the room. That's good. The only way a West Virginia boy and a Michigan girl get together is at Tennessee and Bible College. And so that's what happened to us. And so we met in college. We actually were, were not even uh, interested in one another. I liked another girl. She liked another fella. That's hard for me to imagine now thinking about it, but she did. And we were in the same circle of friends, and we spent so much time as friends talking to each other about the people we liked. After a while, we figured out we liked each other better than we liked the other people. So we got rid of them, kept one another. It was wonderful. And uh, we started talking to one another and then got engaged. And we got married on Friday the 13th. It was the luckiest day of my life, let me tell you. And I remember that day. I was nervous. Oh, I remember how nervous I was. And I remember the pastor trying to calm me down. There was no use in it. And I remember being in the little side room. Some of you are living in, my, in your mind right now, the same experience. I was off in the little side room. And then they finally came in and they said, the wedding coordinator, it's, it's time. It's your turn to go out. And I remember coming out. And, you know, everybody looks at the groom for about mm, 60 seconds. That's about it. That's all he gets. And then all eyes turn to the back. Here comes the bride. I remember standing at the front of that auditorium there in Michigan when the back doors opened up and the prettiest girl I'd ever seen in my life uh, walked through the door and uh, her dad bringing her down the aisle. I remember that. I remember standing in the altar that night and what a precious, sacred, holy, glorious moment it was. And it's just gotten sweeter and more precious all along the way. But the wedding I want to bring you to tonight is not that wedding, and it is not your wedding. It is a marriage celebration that is literally for the ages. It is a wedding for eternity, and you're going to be there, and not only are you going to be there, you're going to participate in it. How many of you would like to know what your part is before you get to the ceremony? Yes. Well, let's go to it. Look at Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 is an amazing chapter. It's really a transition chapter. If you read through all of the revelation of Jesus Christ, the chapters leading up to it are full of judgment. And when you get to Revelation 19, the tone changes, and there's a shift from earth to heaven and from darkness to light and from judgment to victory. It's beautiful. Look at chapter 19, verse 1, and after these things. I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, what's the next word, church? Hallelujah. Salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he hath judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, What, please? Hallelujah. And her smoke rose up forever and ever, and the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. And what's that next word, church? Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. 
And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thunderings, saying, anybody want to guess what they were saying? Now, you almost get the idea the Lord's trying to tell us something, don't you? Somebody has called this the Hallelujah Chorus of the New Testament, and it is that. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice, verse 7, and give honor to Him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And He saith unto me, Write. By the way, did you know that's found 16 times in the book of the Revelation? 16 times God said, write this down. Write this down. You ever hear, hear a preacher say, write this down, please? Somebody said to me when I was in college, a short pencil is better than a long memory. I like that. When you write it down, you want to remember it. Pass it on. And 16 times the Holy Ghost said, write this down. Write this down. By the way, if it was important enough for God to write it, don't you think it ought to be important enough for us to read it? So God said, write. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he said unto me, See, thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And I love this expression. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. If I had said to you, we're going to study prophecy this week, people say, oh, that's interesting to me. I like to study prophecy. But the reality is most people, even when they study prophecy, don't study it for the right reason. They're trying to answer questions and know something and figure something out and what's next on the agenda. No, 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 no. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is not about us knowing what's coming next. This is about us getting our hearts fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ. See, if studying prophecy doesn't change the way you live your life, then you're not understanding prophecy. I always marvel at these people. They get so enamored with the end time and the way the world's going to end, and then they're living like the devil. And I think to myself, they've missed something somewhere. See, the Bible says, He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Peter said it this way, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? In other words, what we're reading in Revelation 19 ought to make a difference in the way we live our life. The wedding that I'm about to show you is not just something to look forward to out yonder in the future somewhere. No, this wedding ought to affect the way you live your life today. So with that in mind, I want you to take your pen and do something. In verse 7, I want you to mark this expression, the marriage of the Lamb. Would you mark it, please? Verse 7, the marriage of the Lamb. Then come to verse 9 and circle, the marriage supper of the Lamb. Don't you know every good wedding has a supper? And all God's people said amen to that. So you'll see in verse 7, there's a reference here to union, and in verse 9, to communion. There is in verse 7, this uniting of the, the groom and the bride, and there is in verse 9, the celebration that is to follow. Now watch this, please. Don't miss this. The next thing that the Lord's going to do is the Lord Jesus is going to come back and receive us to Himself. That's what the Bible says. I'm looking forward to that day. When that happens, Satan and all the hounds of hell are going to be let loose on this planet. And for the record, I don't intend to be here. Now if you want to be here, stay if you want to, but I don't intend to be here. I intend to be with the Lord. 
And when we go to be with the Lord, there are a number of things cared for. There's the judgment seat of Christ where we come to appear before Him and give an account of our life. And then there is this glorious celebration. So if somebody says to you, well, during this tribulation on earth, where are God's people going to be? You bring them to Revelation chapter 19 and you show them that we are going to be at the greatest celebration that anybody has ever experienced because this is going to be what sets in motion our union with Him for all eternity. In Scripture, the bridegroom is a picture of the Lord Jesus and the bride is a picture of the church. That's found all through the Word of God. For example, in the Song of Solomon in the Old Testament, that's not just a picture of marital love. That's a picture of spiritual union. It's a picture of the Lord Jesus and His unconditional love for us. It's not that we were lovely. It's just that He's full of love. Praise God, He is full of love for us. When you come to the New Testament, to the book of Ephesians, the Bible likens the union of husband and wife to the union and the communion of Christ and His church. And when you come to Revelation chapter 19, you find the great, the grand, the glorious culmination of all of that. But here is what has captured my attention. Would you notice, please, in verse number 7, let us be glad and rejoice. Weddings are happy occasions. But now look at it. And give honor to who, church? To him. And at the end of the verse, it says, his wife hath made herself ready. You almost get the idea, looking at this, that the main character in this wedding, in this marriage union, is not the bride, it is the groom. How many of you know that's different than our culture? In fact, it might interest you to know that in Eastern culture, in ancient custom, I'm talking about in the world of the Bible days, that a wedding, a marriage ceremony, really did not revolve around the bride. That's shocking to our Western mindset, isn't it? It revolved around the groom. Uh, his glory, the pastor says he likes it, yes. That's totally different than the way we think. Let's just be honest, I mean honestly. On the day that we, Tammy and I got married, nobody cared if I was there or not. I mean, think about it. We men wear rented tuxes. It's not even our own suit. We come through a side door. Is that right? And we stand, and what do we have to do? One big thing. Are you ready? Wait. And then, all of a sudden, the music strikes up and every head turns and every eye is peeled on one person. And let me tell you, I've been the groom and I can testify, they're not looking at the groom. What do they say? Here comes the... Well, tonight I want to speak to you on here comes the groom. Because when you come to Revelation chapter 19, it is not about us, sorry to disappoint you, it's all about Him. In fact, in our world today, uh, people have it all out of sorts. They got it all upside down. Even when people think about churches, they think about the glory of that church. Can I tell you the only glorious thing about your church is Jesus? It's not your buildings or your size or your money or even how many missionaries you support. No, no. The beautiful thing in any church, you ready for this, is Christ in that church. Take Jesus out of this church and all you've got is another social club. It was the only beautiful thing in any of our lives is the Lord Jesus. Look, 
that's true now and that's going to be true on that day. And nobody's going to say, here comes the bride. No, no. What we're going to be saying is, as we look to the eastern sky and the trumpet sounds and a shout rings out and Jesus steps out in a cloud and the dead in Christ rise first and we're caught up to meet them in the air, somebody's going to say, here comes the groom. What a glorious day that's going to be. Because on that day, we're going to be united with the Lord Jesus Christ forevermore. With that in mind, let's look at the wedding ceremony for a moment. Shall we? I'm going somewhere. Stay with me just a minute. Notice, please, the attenders at this wedding. Who's there? Lots of people are there. As a matter of fact, did you notice in verse number 1, the Bible says there is much people in heaven. That's an interesting expression, much people. Hold your place here and turn back a few pages to chapter 7 with me. In the same book, Revelation chapter 7, verse number 9, this is a verse that describes those who live through the tribulation age and are saved during that period, and there'll be people saved during that period, and they're martyred. Lots of martyrs during the tribulation period. Look at Revelation 7 verse 9, after this I beheld. And lo, a great multitude. I want you to circle in chapter 7 verse 9 the words great multitude. They are the exact same words that are used in chapter 19 verse 1 for much people. I think there's a direct correlation here. And keep reading in verse 9. A great multitude which no man could number. And here we are again. The God who loves all people the same and is not prejudiced. The Bible says of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hands and cried with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God which sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Does that sound vaguely familiar to anybody from this morning? You see, we're going to be all there together. All of us from different ages and history and different stages of time, all of us with different experiences, and yet all of us united by one thing, and that is, you ready? The only reason any of us are there is because Jesus brought us there. So go back with me to chapter 19, just a second. You got the tribulation saints there. Then you come to verse number 4, and the Bible says the 24 elders are there. And I told you already today that all through Revelation, the 24 elders are symbolic of the church. That's us. You're saved, you're a part of the New Testament church, you're a New Testament believer, you're living in this age. It's exciting to me. You're going to be there. We're going to find out you're going to do more than just be there in a moment, but you're there. And then look again in verse number 4. The Bible says there are four beasts there. All through the Scriptures, these four beasts keep popping up. And every time the four beasts pop up, you know what they're doing? They're just all looking at the throne and giving glory to God. It's almost like they are leading the angelic choir. There's lots of angels there, but they are leading in worship. Every eye is on Jesus. Somebody says, here comes the groom. And so lots of attenders at this particular wedding. And then look at verse number 5 and you'll see what they're doing. And a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. By the way, look at verse number 6. The Bible says there's a great multitude. Can I ask you a question? What brings perfect unity in heaven? I love this thought. Do you know what brings perfect harmony in heaven? The presence, the ruling presence of Christ, and everybody praising him. Let me tell you, the only thing that brings unity in a local church is one thing, watch. When we all get our eyes off ourselves and we all get our eyes on Jesus. Do you know we're all different? I'm different than you, you're different than me. 
And the truth of the matter is, we all want our way. You know that, right? Everybody wants their way. So how do you get a group of people to all be one? There's only one way to do that. I, look, we're never all going to agree with each other, but that's okay. We don't have to. We don't have to agree with each other. We just all have to agree with Jesus. And when we all get one mind and one accord with the Lord and begin to praise His name, I'm telling you, praise does something for people. Did you notice this morning when this altar was filled with believers? And I looked across, across this altar and people were weeping and talking to the Lord and it was quiet and it was orderly, but it was sweet. There was a holy hush in the place. There was something wonderful going on. Do you know why that is? Listen to me, church. It wasn't because of the preaching. It was because of the praising. The Bible says you enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful unto Him and bless His name for the Lord is good. Don't you know our God is a good God? And so when you begin praising God, old Lester Roloff said sometimes you can praise your way through things you can't pray your way through. I like that. When you begin praising God, it brings you into the presence of God consciously and it brings the Lord very near to you. And that's what's going to make heaven so wonderful because all eyes are going to be on Jesus and all voices are going to be saying the same thing. Praise our God. That's what the attenders will be doing. Oh, but that's not all. Would you notice, secondly, not only those who are attending, but would you notice the Father? You see, at every wedding, there are parents. For the record, I am not looking forward to giving our girls away. Uh, our oldest daughter is 20, and she's talking to a young man right now. He's a young preacher, and I'm very happy about that. But I am not excited at all about the day that I have to say her mother and I. I don't even want to think about that. And yet in this particular text, did you ever notice the father did not give the bride away? He gave his son away. I want to pause right here and say the only reason we could ever be one with Jesus is because a loving Father gave His Son for us. What was it Jesus said in John? He said that those who come to Him are those the Father has given to Him. Think of this. Every good and every perfect gift cometh down from above from the Father of lights in whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. It was the Father who gave His Son. And it was the Father who gave me Jesus. And 38 years ago, praise His holy name, I took Jesus as my Savior, and God took me as His child. And on that day, I came into the family of God. And I'm thinking now of this Father. Everybody put your eyes on verse number 6, because here's the Father. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, the voice of many waters, the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Hallelujah. Here, here he is, you ready? For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. This is striking to me. What's the one thing pointed out about the father at the wedding? His power. Of all the attributes of our God, notice please the emphasis on the fact he is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. I love this. I love this. We are living in evil days. This is a wicked world. But I want to remind you, I've read the way the book ends. I know how the story concludes. And our God is greater than everything in this world. And someday, He's going to demonstrate His power over all evil forever. What a day that's going to be. And on that day in His power, not only is He going to conquer evil, on that day, our Father in His power is going to give everything to Jesus to rule and reign. You want to talk about a wedding gift. 
Let me show you the wedding gift the Father gives to the Son. Go back a few pages to chapter 11 with me just a second. You're in the same book of the Bible. Look at Revelation 11, verse 15. I love this. Look, they can blaspheme the name of Jesus all they want to. Someday every knee's going to bow and every tongue's going to confess. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Look at Revelation 11, verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there were great voices in heaven saying, I love this, handle and when he wrote the famed Messiah, took this straight from this portion of Scripture. The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders, there we are again, which sat before God on their seats, fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and wast and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee, here's that omnipotent God, thy great power and hast reigned. Let me tell you what we're all going to do someday at the wedding. You ready? Let me tell you what we're all going to do. We're not going to sit in our seats. Look, when you come to a wedding today, they say, are you with the groom or are you with the bride? Is that right? Which side are you going to sit on? You don't understand. On that day, we're all with the groom. You understand what I'm saying? And on that day, we're not going to be seated. Mm -mm. No, on that day, we're going to get out of our seats. And we're going to get down on our faces. And we're going to worship Jesus. The wedding is going to turn into a worship service, and it's going to be some kind of service, let me tell you. Because on that day, the only thing anybody's going to be thinking about, watch please, was not how hard we had it in this world, but how good God was. You're not going to be thinking about any good thing you did. You're going to be thinking the only reason I'm here is because of what Jesus did on the cross. On that day, the Father, the Almighty Father, is going to give the kingdoms of this world to the Lord Jesus and He will rule and reign for all eternity. Oh, I'm looking forward to that day. And I want to say with John, even so come Lord Jesus. So, go back with me to Revelation 19. we got the attenders and we got the Father. And then let me show you the bride. Now, this ought to get really interesting to you because if you didn't know it, this is you. Don't you love to find yourself in Scripture? You're here. Would you notice, please, in verse 7 and 8, here's the church. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. Now watch this. And His wife hath made herself ready. Hmm. Look at verse 8. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. Oh, wait a minute, notice please. In verse 8, there is a righteousness given to her. And in verse 7, there's something she is supposed to do. How many of you see that? Do you see that? Watch please. The only righteousness any of us have is the righteous record of Jesus Christ. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So when I get there someday, there's none righteous, no, not one. When I get there someday, I'm not going to talk about what I did. You're not going to stretch your way into the presence of a holy God, prance before the throne and say, well, this is what I accomplished. No, no. What you're going to do is say, I'm a sinner, but I'm here because Jesus is a very good Savior. On that day, it's all His righteousness on our account. We are, have on the robe of His righteousness. So watch, please. The Lord has prepared us, but now watch this. Notice in verse 7, there's also a preparation we're to do. His wife hath made herself ready. What does that mean? Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible talks about how the Lord is purifying His church. He is preparing His bride. Hear me with your heart right now. There's coming a day that you're going to be presented to Jesus. 
That's sobering. We speak so lightly and flippantly sometimes about these things. Do you understand, church? There's going to be a day that the Father's going to take you and present you to His Son. And can I tell you what the Lord's doing right now in all of our lives, this preacher included? He's getting you ready for the day you meet Jesus face to face. Right now, what's the Lord doing? He's purging things from our life. He's, he's purifying us. He is preparing us. May I, may I ask you something tonight? Is there anything in your life right now you wouldn't want to meet Jesus with? Anything. And by the way, I don't have to preach on your sin because the Holy Ghost is right now. In fact, I don't even know what your sin is. I have no idea where you are between you and the Lord, but I know this. I know God's dealing with every last one of us and He's searching deeply in our hearts. And why is He doing that? Because wait a minute. On that day, He wants us to be clean. He wants us to be pure. He wants us to be right. And what is the Holy Spirit doing at this moment? He is getting the church ready for the day we see Jesus Christ face to face. Friend, the greatest day you're ever going to live is the day you meet our great God face to face. And I wonder, is there anything tonight you'd like to bring to Him before you have to give it to Him there? Some time ago I was preaching in Texas. The last night of the meeting, a man came out of the meeting and he was, a, he was an older man. He had his Bible with him and his Bible study notebook and his pens and all of that. He could tell he was a, he was a man who was a serious follower of the Lord and interested in studying God's Word and all of that. And he said to me, he said, Preacher, you don't know me. He said, you don't know my name. You don't know anything about me. He said, I've been in this church for decades. He said, tonight in the middle of the meeting, he said, the Holy Spirit put his finger on something in my life. He said, I'll just tell you what it was. There's no sense getting into the details. He said, but years ago, somebody did me wrong. And he said, I've held on to that for years. And he said, I've grown bitter. And he said, I've been an angry Christian. He said, I've been trying to portray that everything was right between me and God. He said, but tonight, the Holy Spirit said, you don't want to meet God with that. And he said, tonight I got out of my seat and I brought that thing to the altar and I laid it on the altar and I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't want to live another day with this and I don't want to meet God with this. I want to give this bitterness to you tonight and I want to leave it here. And at that moment, that man broke out in a great smile and he said, preacher, I just want to come back and tell you tonight that I'm leaving this church with victory tonight. He said, I know God has given me a real spiritual breakthrough. You know what that is? That's revival. See, when people start getting thoroughly right with God and letting God be thorough with them, what's going on here? God is getting the bride ready for the day that we are presented faultless in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ for all eternity. So it brings me to a fourth person who's here, the attender's there, the father's there, the bride is there, and then, don't miss him, he's the main attraction, here comes the groom. The groom is there. Notice the emphasis on the groom. In verse 7, he's the lamb. In verse 9, he's the lamb. Now why would that be? God is emphasizing the gentleness and the meekness and the beauty of Christ. His every reason to put his foot down as the lion. When he comes to the marriage, I love this. This is convicting to me as a husband, frankly. He is not someone who has to announce he's taking over. No, he just loves unconditionally, sacrificially. Look at the lamb. Look at the lamb. He's wounded for your transgressions. He was bruised for your iniquities. Look at the lamb, please. Someday the Bible says that we will look on him 
that we have pierced. We will see the holes in His hands and feet and His side just like Thomas did. Look at the Lamb, please. He did that for you. He died for you. He suffered for you. And on that day, He won't have to demand worship. No, on that day, every heart will well up with gratitude and say to the groom, thank you for what you did for us. Thank you for not letting us go to hell like we deserve. Thank you for letting us spend eternity with you here in the Father's house. Oh, what a glorious day it will be when we're with Jesus Christ for eternity. This is the Lamb. Notice what the Bible says of Him in verse 10, And I fell at His feet to worship Him. That's speaking of the angel. And the angel said to me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. In other words, Sometimes people get enamored even with a preacher, and the preacher here says, no, 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 no. By the way, any man that takes the glory to himself is robbing it from God, and God said he will not share his glory with any other. And so this messenger does the right thing. He's pointing people to the Lord Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in a moment, but I want you to simply see this, that on that day, the only one who's going to be loved and admired is Jesus. And if that's true then, that should be true now. The one that should be loved and admired is Jesus Christ. Let me say this to you. In our church culture, by the way, American Christianity is a long ways from Acts Christianity. In our current church culture in this world, do you know what's happened? God forgive us. Lord forbid this be true. I'll tell you what's happened. People have exalted the church above Christ. And suddenly, organizational structure and, and schemes and plans and programs and ministries and, and budgets and all of that have become the main thing. No, no, go to Revelation 19. It's not the bride that is to get the glory. It is the bridegroom that is to get the glory. We must never exalt the body above the head. Jesus Christ is all and in all. Colossians 1.18 That in all things He might have the preeminence. Look friends, it's all Jesus Christ. What is this mission conference about? I'll tell you what it's about. It's all about Christ. What is this gospel track work you're doing? Is this some game you're playing? God forbid! It's all about Christ and people knowing Jesus. What is this meeting about tonight? Me giving a sermon and you learning something? No! A thousand times no. It is all about Christ. And only when we get Christ in His rightful place does the world see Christ in us. So it brings me to one more person that's at the wedding. Did you notice? In verse number 10, there's a friend at the wedding. There's always friends at the wedding. There's always people at the wedding who are friends of the groom. And indeed, that's what you have in the messenger in verse number 10. Look at verse 10 again. Everybody put your eyes on verse 10. John said, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said to me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant. I'm just a servant. I'm of thy brethren. I'm just a family member. But of the testimony of Jesus, I, I'm just a messenger. Worship God. I'm just a fellow worshiper trying to lead you to worship. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. May the Holy Spirit give us understanding right here. Are you a friend of the groom? Are you part of the bride? How many of you are saved? Raise your hand, please. You're saved? Then you're part of the bride. How many of you plan to be there in Revelation 19? Would you raise your hand? I'm looking forward to it. But I didn't ask you, are you part of the bride? I came to ask you tonight, are you a friend of the groom? What's, what's the mark of 
true friendship. I love this. Do you know what the mark of true friendship is? You love to hear the voice of the friend. And the friend's job is always to point all eyes to the groom. They call them the best man. Anybody in here ever served as a best man in a wedding? I'm just curious. Any best men? I knew we had a lot of best men here. That's good. But in reality, who is supposed to really be the best man at the wedding? The groom is. In fact, the best man is just there as a servant. He's just there as an assistant. He's just there at the right hand. He's just there to help. But watch, please. He's not saying, everybody look at me. No, no, what's he doing? He's saying, everybody look at the groom now. Everybody pay attention to this married couple. Everybody, let's make sure this wedding goes off without a hitch because this is important. This is, this is what we're celebrating right here. Watch, please. Can I tell you what a friend of the groom does? May I say it real simple? Can I tell you what a friend of Jesus does? A friend of Jesus says, you know, there's only one thing that I really want. I want everybody to know Jesus like I know Jesus. I want everybody to go to heaven with us. I want others to be part of the bride. And I wonder, is that the hunger of your heart? Is that your passion? When did you last weep for a soul? Pray for a lost person until they came to Christ. Who are you now pursuing for the Lord Jesus? Oh, it's going to be glorious to be there but what a thought that while we are there, there will be many who do not have the joy of participating because they never knew our Christ. Go with me back to John just for a moment. John chapter 3 and we'll stop here. Who wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ? Anybody want to tell me? Yeah. And who wrote the gospel according to John? Same fella. I think the Holy Spirit gave him some understanding of these things. Let me show you another John, though. John, the writer, speaks of a man named John the Baptist in John chapter 3. It's pretty interesting that some of John's disciples got worked up because Jesus was getting a bigger following than John was. Y'all remember that? He's getting more baptisms than you are, John. John said, that's okay. Look at verse number 27. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except to be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I'm sent before him. Everybody look at John 3, 29. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom. That sound familiar to anyone? But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. Read verse 30 out loud with me, would you, church? He must increase, but I must decrease. I've always thought this was striking. Do you know what John called, called himself? He referred to himself as the voice of one crying in the wilderness. But when Jesus came and started speaking, the man who was called the voice said, I'm not worried about my voice anymore. There's a greater voice than mine. I want to hear the voice of the bridegroom. <laughs> Look, there's nothing like when Jesus speaks up. Watch this, please. John said, I am the friend of the bridegroom. And not only, watch please, not only do I love to hear him. How many of you love it when Jesus speaks to you? Do you love it? Do you love to hear him? Yes, church, do you love to hear him? Wait a minute, John says, I not only love to hear him, I, I love to talk about him. I love to tell others about him. Because in the end, I got to get real small because I'm nothing really. But he needs to be big because... He's everything. Here comes the groom. 
I love talking about my wife. I love talking about Morgan and Lauren and Grant. Matter of fact, at the table today, we were just talking and without even thinking about it, I just pulled my phone out quickly and found a picture of them. Said, well, this is each member of the family. And before I even realized that I'm showing a picture and talking about each one of them. Do you know why? Do you know why I do that? Not because somebody asked. Not because I had to. Not because my wife called this afternoon and said, did you, did you tell them about us? Because she didn't. No. No, I did it because I love them. And they love me. They're the dearest people on earth to me. It's easy for me to talk about them. It's a funny thing. When you really fall in love with Jesus, nobody has to plead with you to talk about him. You just kind of want to. I think it's what it meant when the Bible says, the apostles said, we can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. We did, well, look, we can't help ourselves. That's the friend of the bridegroom. This Lord's Day, we started this morning with a hymn I said to our brother before the meeting. Interestingly enough, I don't hear this hymn very often. I don't know why. It's a great hymn. This morning when he opened the hymn book and announced it and we started singing, immediately I, I thought of the woman who wrote the hymn. I want you to take your hymn book out. Would you please, everybody, find a hymn book? And I'm not going to sing so you can relax, all right? It's always something to praise Jesus for. If nothing else, praise God I'm not singing to you tonight. I want you to find hymn number 184. Would you find hymn 184? We sang it this morning. How many of you remember singing it this morning? Anybody? Anybody still asleep this morning and doesn't remember it at all? We sang it. And as we sang it, my heart was stirred by the words again, Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? Coming in power and love to reign. What if it were today? Coming to claim His chosen bride. All the redeemed and purified over this whole earth scattered wide. What if it were today? Do you see that line? Coming to claim His chosen what? Bride. All the redeemed and what? Purified. May I ask you again, is there anything, bride, I'm talking to the bride right now, is there anything, bride, you need to get cared for and cleaned up right with God before you see Jesus? Anything you'd be ashamed of if Jesus came tonight? The second verse says, Satan's dominion will then be o'er. Oh, that it were today. Sorrow and sighing shall be no more. Oh, that it were today. Then shall the dead in Christ arise, call up to meet him in the skies. When shall these glories meet our eyes? What if it were today? Faithful and true, would he find us here? If he should come today, watching in gladness and not in fear, if he should come today, signs of his coming multiply. Morning light breaks in eastern sky. Watch, watch for the time is drawing nigh. What if it were today? Look at the chorus. Only a Christian can sing this from their heart. Glory, glory, joy to my heart will bring. Glory, glory, when we shall crown Him King. Glory, glory, haste to prepare the way. Glory, glory, Jesus will come someday. But may I ask, is there anybody you know right now that's not ready? How many of you know somebody that's lost? Some of you have the faces and names, family members and friends. The Holy Ghost is bringing them to mind. Listen to me. If you're a real friend of the bridegroom, you'll point them to Jesus. The lady who wrote this hymn was an interesting woman. Do you see her name right there? Lelia N. Morris. Lelia Morris was from the great state of Ohio. She owned a hat shop. She was a businesswoman. She was very successful at it, and she was musically gifted 
And when she was about, oh, if I remember right, about 50 years of age, she went blind. Totally blind. And her kids said, Mama, we want you to keep writing songs. We're going to help you. And they built her a 24-foot-long blackboard. They put it in her house with a box of chalk, showed her right where it was. And they said, Mama, when you get a moment of inspiration, you just find this blackboard and you start writing. And as you're writing, we'll take the notes down so that your music won't be lost. And one day, Lillian Morris stumbled her way to that blackboard and wrote these words, Jesus is coming to earth again. What if it were today? I wonder sometimes if those who are blind may see more than we do because they're looking at another world. What if it were today? If the Lord came tonight, two things. Is there anything in you that needs to be dealt with, number one? Are you ready? And number two, is there any one that you say, I need to point them to Jesus. I need to get them ready too. Because Christ could come at any moment. Any moment, somebody might say, here comes the groom. Our Father, I pray tonight that the Holy Spirit will be our preacher. That Christ will be lifted up. Oh, God, speak to us. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.